Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. When Sean Hudson moved to Woodlawn five years ago to attend grad school at the University of Chicago, he started picking up on a vibe in the neighborhoods near the university. The block that I stayed on was actually university-owned apartments, and so most of the people on my block were white. Because most of them either had some relationship with the university or they had just recently moved to the area. However, when you travel further down um, Cottage Grove, you meet more of what I say the long-time residents. And I used to always hear people in the community say, you know, I just don't trust you, Chicago, moving more south of their campus. And so it just got me to wondering, like, what is the relationship like? I'm Jen White, host of WBEZ's Morning Shift on Loan to Curious City. And to help answer Sean's question, we had to turn to our resident expert. WBEZ's Natalie Moore not only covers the South Side, she literally wrote the book, The South Side, A Portrait of Chicago and American Segregation. So Natalie, this tension Sean was picking up on, what's the story? It goes back decades. In the early 1930s and 40s, the university supported what's known as restrictive covenants to keep black residents from living near campus. And actually, Lorraine Hansberry's play, A Raisin in the Sun, is based on her family's experience trying to buy a home in West Woodlawn. Then in the 1960s and 70s, U of C wanted to expand its campus south, but the community activists organized and protested, and ultimately the school agreed not to move past the midway. Okay, but that stuff happened a long time ago. Have things gotten any better? Well, there have been some recent uh, battles, too. You had the years-long fight to get the university to reopen the adult trauma center because there wasn't one in the area. People were dying, and research showed that if you were shot more than five miles from a trauma center in Chicago, your likelihood of dying is 21% greater. Activists pushed and pushed and pushed, and ultimately the university reopened a trauma center last spring, but only after a lot of community agitation. Now, Natalie and I wanted to hear how the community and the university see things nowadays, so we needed to talk with some of the key players. Derek Douglas is the man leading the university's efforts to improve relations, and community activists Joanza Malone and Anton Seals Jr. work as advocates for low-income and working families in the South Shore and Kenwood neighborhoods, which are both near the university. We began by asking each to describe the relationship, and Anton got things started. Oh, okay. That's Chicago style. I would start. <laughs> it's a wild onion. There are a lot of layers, and it's a little funky. It uh, and can be sweet in certain spots. I would describe the relationship as one that is sometimes acrimonious between communities, and um, I think people are usually 
going to trying to engage the, the, the university, but are also very distrustful of the university with great reason. Jawanta, your thoughts? When we think about the role that University of Chicago has played in the community historically, it is fraught um, with tension. There's been a just a host of things that the university has either led or supported that has had a deleterious impact on the community surrounding uh, the university. And Derek, how would you describe that relationship? Current day, I actually think it's an improving relationship. And improvement means it has been in a place that we wanted to grow from and get better. There was that period, though, a long period, where the university was more focused on its own interests, and that's some of the stuff that Anton and Joanza were referring to. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about that from the two of you, Anton and Joanza. That history, that fraught history you're describing, can you give us some specific examples um, of of what that history looks like for people who aren't familiar? Joanza? Sure. So looking at the support for restrictive covenants, that kept black people in this quote-unquote place, making sure that black people weren't allowed on the university and couldn't buy homes within a mile of the university, right? Uh, Just looking at the history of racial profiling from the University of Chicago Police Department. You look at those things, you look at the role of real estate development, uh, the land banking that took place in Washington Park related to the Olympics, the trauma center, uh, the trauma center closing. You know, these are all things that people point to as reasons why there is this level of distrust of the university and why people are skeptical of some of the things that are happening now. Right. We see progress being made and we encourage that. uh, But we're still fighting right now for the university to support a community benefits agreement related to the presidential center. But if there aren't clear provisions to protect people from being displaced, is bound to happen, especially if you're trying to attract new people. Derek, I just want to ask you here, because mm-hmm. while we're talking about the relationship of the university to the community, we're also talking about all of this existing within the city of Chicago. And, and I wonder if you feel sometimes that the university gets dinged for things that are really under the city's purview. The, the concern about displacement is a well-founded concern And there are some things, you know, when communities are facing challenges, you have a university there, well-resourced, that creates a dynamic that leads to tension. I'm not saying that the interests are always perfectly aligned. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the things that we're doing, we try to find things where there's a mutual benefit. So the work we're doing with nonprofit organizations, no one can tell me that that's not making a positive difference in the community. So there's a lot of positivity and, oh, and, sure. and, and then the university is getting their students involved. We're getting our faculty involved. So there's real benefits on that side as well. I actually want to turn to Natalie because you've been reporting on all of this for a long time. Yeah. So if we talk about community agitation and activism and reducing harm, of course, the trauma center is going to come up. So can you talk about what lessons were learned on the activism side with the dealing with the university, because in the end, an adult level one trauma center reopened and is having a positive impact in surrounding communities. It's a shame that it took five years to get to this point. It's it's wonderful what we're seeing now. I think that 
what we're seeing come from this trauma center being put in place where there's actual intentionality, not just in terms of stitching people up and sending them back out on the street, but also playing a role in trying to figure out how we prevent violence from happening in the first place. That's phenomenal. Right. And that's what we were advocating for for five years. Right. And so what about all the lives that have been lost that could have been saved if the university had just reopened the trauma center that it shouldn't have closed in the first place? A key breakthrough in all this was we actually started talking to each other with respect. And the lesson I took from that is the importance of the conversation. And we're trying to do that right now with respect to the issues of displacement and things that people are concerned about. We formed some working groups on the university side to look at what we're doing around housing, small business, workforce development, ways in which we can do better. And I think that the trauma center is an example, even though it took too long, I hear that, but it's an example of conversations, construction, learning, understanding, leading to a positive result. So I'm going to pose a question in listening to you talk, it feels like this is a relationship that's very much in motion. Um, it's in a, a constant state of evolution. And starting with you, Anton, and then coming to you, Derek and Jawanza, as this relationship moves forward, what are the things that need to shift to your mind to make it a relationship that works for the community and for the university? It just begs the question, like, the juxtaposition of this huge international university and, you know, four blocks down for the last 30 years has been some of the worst poverty in the city. You know what I mean? So, so I think, you know, figuring out how to attract and keep black families in these spaces is something that I think there should be a common ground. Yeah. I think if we have that kind of dialogue, we're going to find more common ground than we certainly have in the past and may even find more common ground than we imagine we can. And I think that trust only comes through relationship. My view is that the university has to broaden and deepen its relationship with the community in order to get to a more trusting kind of relationship. You know, how many relationships will we stay in if harm continues to happen? Our community is a very forgiving community, right? And so I have no interest in antagonizing anybody. My interest is making sure that the people I represent are able to stay in a community that they call home, that they have called home for generations now, right? When black people came to this city, we found home where we were able to find home. The city was not a welcoming place to us. We have an opportunity to make sure that low-income families, working families, more affluent families are able to live in community together. We can make that happen. We can. And the only thing that's going to stop that is just us simply not having the will to do it. Derek, at one point you wanted to respond to something that Jawanza said about the CBA. Do you remember what that was? Um. No, I oh, don't. you wanted to say the university was going to move forward on the CBA, right? That's, no. that's <laughs> Breaking news. He has it. I, it's in his folder, yeah, man. Yeah. It's already signed. It's right there. Yeah. Zimmer signed yeah, it. Yeah. 
Did you put this on? It's all over. Like, let's go. Nice, nice, nice. The conversation among the three men continued after we stopped rolling. And it's clear the dialogue around the presidential center and other common issues is ongoing, too. Our question asker, Sean Hudson, he's encouraged that the sides are talking at all. Turns out he's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is also a university town. But it's also surrounded by a lot of impoverished and disadvantaged communities. I think the major difference between this area and where I've come from is that this area is not afraid to have that conversation. Where back at home, the University of Alabama really doesn't talk about that. They refuse to have that conversation as if it doesn't exist. Reporting and production for this story came from Katie O'Brien. Thanks to WBEZ's Natalie Moore. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Jen White. Next time on Curious City, we look at the relationship between Chicago's blues music and the Great Migration when a half million African Americans came to Chicago. The reason that they left the South is because they were tired of the circumstances there. They were tired of being boys and girls, and they wanted to be men and women. So, yeah, they came north, and they brought the blues with them. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.